Eans is proud to present the WHS Healthy Shop Speaker Series. This week, we had a special presentation by Marsha Oaks of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, from namicentraltexas.org. Links to the full video vignettes from Kristen Bell and Brene Brown mentioned in the podcast are available in the show notes for this episode. Hey, good evening, everyone. I welcome you guys uh, to the high school tonight. Uh, life is kind of interesting how things kind of progress along with different things. I've been here since 2002. Ms. Bryant, who's over there, one of our student support counselors, she's been here since 2007. Uh, we've done lots of things kind of off campus. There's kind of a little safety there when it comes to talking about difficult things. So you know about our WHS speaker series. Some of you guys might have gone to that. It's all online. Uh, Ms. Bryant posts all that good stuff. But this is like the really first time that we actually said, you know what, we're gonna go bring in someone who's an expert in this field who can help our parents, help our staff, we're gonna be doing other things with them. They've been very, very gracious on their outreach. So, I, you know, just from my perspective, being here a long time, you really never know uh, when someone's gonna present with something you had no idea was coming your way. So, in my mind, it's not like you go to a seminar, you go to a conference, you guys like to do lots of professional development out there in your job as well. If you pick up one or two things that's very practical, can help you out, I'd say it's worth it. Um, and that's why we're here. You guys have something going on, or maybe anticipating in my life. As my kids have gotten older, I have twins now in eighth grade, and then a sixth grade daughter as well. So, I have three girls in middle school. That presents its own interesting <laughs> But just with a niece, uh, when she was screws along very, very well into her fourth year in school, or you know, a close neighbor, uh, their child was going off to a summer camp between their sophomore and junior high school. Selling present people, they present things to you. What do you do? Especially my job. So things are going to happen, whether you're your own family or not. And I think it's great that you guys are here. We're very excited to have Marsha Oaks here, who's going to lead our presentation tonight. So thank you very much, Marsha. Here we go. Okay, um, thank you so much for the intro. I'm Marcia Oaks. I am a volunteer with NAMI. NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and I'm with the Central Texas Affiliate. So right here locally, we serve Austin as well as all of the surrounding counties. And um, what NAMI does, especially here on the local level, is we provide resources and support for individuals living with a mental health condition and their families and loved ones as well and even to care providers and first responders. Uh, NAMI is involved in, um, in you know, officer training when they are becoming mentally health certified, um, those kinds of things. So very involved in the community and very happy that you have us out today. So we have a lot to cover, so I'll jump right in. I'll tell you a little bit about myself first. Um, I am not a mental health professional. It's very important for you to be aware of, so happy to answer any questions I can at the end, but just know I'm, I'm not a professional. Uh, we also have Jessica here today who is a NAMI employee. She works for NAMI and has mental health training, so, um, so she may be able to help answer some of the other questions. So while I'm not a professional, what I am is a parent. And a parent who has had um, probably more than our fair share of experience with, um, with mental health. And honestly, this is something that um, is not foreign to me. I uh, grew up in a family that with immediate family members who experienced some severe mental health issues with um, depression and bipolar. And also my dad actually was a mental health professional. He was a clinical psychologist for over 40 years. So just kind of by process of osmosis, I would have um, considered myself to be more um, 
educated on mental health issues and symptoms and diagnosis and treatment than, um, than the average person. But then when my own kids presented with, um, with mental health challenges, you know, no matter what I thought I knew, it was all out the window, right? Because we never think that we're doing this right. And my husband and I, we felt um, lost and alone. And even when we had my dad there to answer questions and to tell us what to, what to go ask a healthcare provider or, or what treatment options might be, uh, might be best for our situation, um, even with him available, we still, we still felt um, ill-equipped for what was facing us. And so that's really why um, why I'm here today is that if I had all the resources that I had and still was so afraid, I can only imagine when you don't have a psychologist living just a couple miles from you who is um, able to help you out. So uh, with that, I will jump in. You'll hear more about, uh, about my kids um, along the way. So you don't need to raise your hand, but see if you can relate to any of these statements. Maybe you have been feeling concerned about a teenager who just seems to be struggling. Maybe they're isolating themselves, worried about, um, about your child who just really isn't acting like themselves anymore and you're not sure if this is okay or normal. Um, maybe you're feeling reluctant to say anything. Come on. Uh, you may be reluctant to say anything, but, uh, but you just know that something's not right. And um, you may be overwhelmed by some of the behavior that you're seeing, which just seems unlike your child and unlike anything that you've seen from them before. And you might even be feeling frustrated if you have gone to the school and maybe the school isn't seeing the same thing you are. And that's actually really common that, um, that our kids will act differently at school, even with, uh, even with symptoms of, of physical or mental health, that the school will see different things than, than what you're seeing at home. So we're here tonight to talk about talking about mental health. So why is it important for us to talk about this? Our teenagers' mental health, it impacts a lot in their life. It impacts their ability to learn, their attendance in school, participation in activities, all of their relationships, their relationship with you, with their friends, um, even with their community. It can impact their physical health and being able to hit developmental milestones, you know, all that is it the frontal lobe? What is it that's still forming? So we know that our kids' brains are not fully baked until they're about 25. So we're still hitting milestones. We're still in development. And of course, long-term success. We're making a lot of choices about the future here in these high school years. And when we have anything that's compromising how we are thinking and how we are reasoning through our choices, then this can certainly have an impact on, um, on our kids' long-term success. So you'll hear me say mental health conditions and mental health illness. These are the same thing, so I don't think I'm talking about two different things. Um, so what is mental health? We all have it. We're all in some state of mental health right now, just like we're all in some state of physical health, right? So what does a healthy mind look like? Generally, we're feeling good. We're enjoying life. And when struggles are coming our way, which they do, because um, life is very messy, we are able to deal with those struggles in generally positive ways. We can find positive coping skills to work our way through those rough times. Um, overall, generally speaking, our mental health can be maintained with positive habits. Think about the things that we do to keep ourselves physically healthy. 
we wash our hands, we you know sanitize our kitchen, when we, you know all of these kinds of things to keep our mental health going. Well, there are things that we can do to keep our, our, our physical health going. There are things that we can do to keep our mental health going, right? For some people, it may be listening to music when you're stressed, journaling, meditation, yoga, exercise, making sure that you're getting plenty of sleep, having a good diet. A lot of the same things that you would do for your physical health can help you maintain your mental health. But just like with our physical health, even though we are washing our hands very well and frequently, can we still get a cold? We can absolutely still get a cold. So even when we are trying our best efforts to maintain our own health, we can still face a mental health condition. And why is that? There are multiple factors that can lead to a mental health condition. There's hereditary genetics. There's a lot of it in my family. So this, this is something I knew that I had to watch for in myself, as well as in my kids. Um, biology, I'm not gonna pretend to be able to talk about the neurotransmitters and you know uh, chemical imbalances and all of those kinds of things. I'm just not educated enough to do that. Okay, um, when we experience a trauma, that can lead to a mental health condition and then of course environmental stressors. Um, you know, poverty, experiencing uh, something going on in your family, um, these are things that can be environmental stressors. Um, something to remember about a mental health condition is that it can change the way that a person thinks, feels, <coughs> and acts. You know, my son with his, come on in. Um, my son had, uh, had severe depression and very persistent and, you know, I've likened it to what seemed like a brainwashing. You know, that, uh, that depression was speaking lies into his brain and you're just working really hard to try to reverse that and to speak as much truth as you can and trying to get and get them to believe that but um, you know it, uh, it can it just changes the way that you can even think through uh, think through those kinds of things um, the other thing to know is that mental health conditions are very common and they are very treatable and we'll talk some more about um, how to seek out treatment here in a little bit so here on this slide is a real pretty map of the brain. If only we knew exactly where within the brain all of these mental health conditions live. So just know that this diagram is really just for illustrative purposes. It's not scientific. Um, the main takeaway here is just that these are some of the most common mental health conditions. There's a lot of them, and there's a lot more that are not on this. So to me, what's most important to remember is that we cannot diagnose our own kids, we can't diagnose ourselves. If you are worried about a mental health condition, you need to engage a professional so that we can figure out what is it that we're dealing with, and then we'll know what is the proper treatment for that particular mental health condition. So moving on a few facts about mental health and our kids. So one in five kids of our youth live with a mental health condition. Just looking at the number of people in this room, I'm going to venture to say that we've already got some kids represented here in these families that are facing a mental health condition. 50% um, of our kids with mental illness have signs and symptoms by the age of 14, so they're pretty young. And the average delay of, of the onset of symptoms, between symptoms and when we get treatment, is 8 to 10 years. This to me is the most shocking statistic that we wait so long. Think about anything else. You know, if you found out that someone in your family was diagnosed with diabetes or you 
you even suspected that maybe that they should be checked for it, would you wait eight to 10 years? You absolutely would never do that. So why are we waiting to, um, to go get our mental health checked out? Um, the risks of not getting this checked out, of not intervening. Half of the students 14 and up with a mental illness drop out of high school. They're twice as likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. And 70% of the youth in our criminal justice system have mental health illnesses. And of course, suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for our kids ages 15 to 24. We'll talk a little bit more about suicide in a little bit. So what does mental illness look like? Can you tell between these two boys who might be facing a mental illness? some shaking heads. That's correct. We, we can't tell. Um, it might be the kid who's isolating himself and being really withdrawn. It might not be that kid. It might be the kid who is excelling in everything that he does. Um, you know, my son, he was at uh, LASA. I know that's a, an AISD school, so I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a competitive magnet program and was making great grades, had friends, you know, we probably saw a little bit of this part at home, the isolating himself and leave me alone and closing the door and playing League of Legends for hours on end, that kind of thing. Um, but at school, he definitely looked like, uh, looked like this other kid. But there is some good news. Better, with better early identification and care, we get better outcomes. More and more people are talking about mental health. Our kids are hearing about this in school. They're hearing about it everywhere that they go. And talking about mental health, it really does make a difference. Just you being here tonight will make a difference in showing your commitment to, um, to your kids' mental health. So we're going to watch, uh, we have a couple videos tonight. This first one that we're going to watch really kind of helps get us into the topic of talking to our kids within our own families about mental health. So this is an interview with Kristen Bell. If you're not sure who she is, but you have a daughter who was obsessed with Frozen once upon a time. <laughs> she was the voice of Princess Anna, so, um, and you probably know her from a few other things. Sometimes we um, have a little just kind of group chat after the videos just to see uh, what thoughts people have. This is a pretty good group, so I'm just going to continue on. I'll say um, I know for, uh, for me, I really related to Kristen's experience. It reminds me a lot of my my daughter, especially that um, that with her her experience with uh, with a bout of depression and then continuing on with um, generalized anxiety disorder. It's very similar to to what Kristen has experienced, and you know, thankfully my daughter's thrived very well with uh, with standard uh, CBT therapy and um, you know some medication here and there if needed. But, um, but she's really kind of that that success story of. Um, of early intervention and continued treatment to be able to, uh, to keep her um, doing really well and now is in her freshman year of college. So. Um, so how can you start this conversation? You know, Kristen talked about how she had a conversation with her mom. One thought that I had on that was why her mom would wait till she was 18. That seems a little long. So let's start this conversation earlier for those of you who have kids under 18. Let's not wait. Um, so here are a few suggestions of just how you can get a conversation going. Really, the goal here is to just make mental health something that is, is easy to talk about in your home as physical health. It should be as easy to say, I think I'm getting a cold, I might have strep throat, it hurts when I swallow. It, it should be as easy to say, um, 
for your kid to be able to come to you and say that something is off, that they're not feeling well, and that they need might need to talk to someone as it is for them to say that their throat hurts. You know, we just we want this to be something that's very safe to talk about in our homes. So some ways that you can get this started. Um, you can talk about something that you've learned tonight. You know, that you've learned that one in five teens is impacted with a mental illness, but that they don't get treatment. Uh, only half of them are getting treatment. So ask them, why do you think that that is? What do you think that's keeping kids from going and asking for help? Um, if you are like Kristen Bell's family, where there are mental health conditions that run in your family, and you have not talked to your child about that, now would be a good time to start letting them know. Of, you know, hey, did you know that Uncle Bob is bipolar? Let's talk about what that means. What do we watch for with Uncle Bob? What has his experience been like? You know, um, that kind of thing. Um, or if, again, if they were a big fan, watch this video with them. Just say, hey, have you ever seen this? Are you, do you know about Kristen Bell's struggles with, with mental illness? And, um, you know, I think it, it's a very relatable story and from someone that, um, that a lot of our kids admire. So we've talked a little bit about just how to get some conversation going. It's really important to understand what it can feel like from our teenagers' perspective. There is a student version of this presentation called Ending the Silence, and in it we have a youth presenter who tells their own story. So this is a video of a young man named Hayden. It wasn't from here in Austin, but um, it's a video of his portion of that presentation that he was giving to some students talking about what it's been like to live with a mental health illness. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Hayden, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. So music is my passion. Um, I love to sing, write, play, and see live music. Uh, I enjoy reading. I have a good colleague named Rudy, who I spend a lot of time with. And um, I actually started my own taxi slash designated driver service for a bunch of the adults in my area, which has actually been a lot of fun. So my childhood was pretty normal. Uh, my parents loved me and everything was fine until about the fifth grade when I just started feeling really sad and I didn't know why. I didn't tell anyone. I, you know, just hoped it would go away over time, but yeah, it only got worse. And then in sixth and seventh grade, uh, I was bullied by a bunch of the girls in my class. They sent me these hate notes, which said things along the lines of, you know, we hate you, we wish you were dead. And you know, for a kid who was already pretty down, that wasn't helpful. I couldn't figure out what I had done to upset these girls so much, so. I figured if I you know, kept my distance and didn't really associate with them, they couldn't hate me for anything. But uh, for whatever reason, I received more notes. And I didn't have many positive coping skills. So I started cutting and burning myself because I thought it would help, but it only made things worse. It was around this time I also started having thoughts like, you know, I'd be better off if I were dead. You know, then I wouldn't be such a burden to everyone. And my parents started to notice how unhappy I was, or how unhappy I looked. So uh, I saw a doctor, and he diagnosed me with depression and put me on some medication. So I was really happy. Uh, you know, I thought things would get better. You know, I sort of thought it was a miracle pill and it would all be fine. But you know, it wasn't that easy. Uh, you know, I just felt worse and worse. 
I went to this uh, boarding school for eighth grade, so I was optimistic about that. And I thought a change of environment and people would be really good for me. But uh, I remember waking up in the morning and feeling like there was this black cloud over my head. And you know, it followed me around wherever I went and I just couldn't get rid of it. So over Christmas break, I actually made multiple attempts on my life. And my friend told his parents, who told mine, and you know, I was taken into treatment, and that was really good. You know, that was a great experience for me. I realized that I wasn't alone. There are other people out there like me. And you know, I was able to start working on my issues. I still didn't fully address my issues. Uh, you know, I still sort of hid them because I just wanted to, you know, be normal, I guess. So. When I was in high school, I started getting into drugs and alcohol, and um, that got pretty bad, and then my parents caught me and took me in for treatment for that, and it was then that I was really able to start accepting myself. To me, acceptance means acknowledging my situation and being okay with it, which has proven to be an ongoing process, and every time I think that I've accepted my situation. You know, I have, you know, more obstacles to overcome, and you know, I'm forced to compromise. And you know, I learn to adjust my goals and grow from each situation. And uh, the main thing I've accepted is that mental illness isn't anyone's fault, and it doesn't have to be a handicap. My depression has made me the person that I am today, and I'm pretty happy with that person. Uh, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't really have it any other way. Um, acceptance has definitely played a major role in my recovery. And to me, recovery means living a happy and healthy life that isn't controlled by depression. Um, I have a support network of friends and family who you know, I can go to if I ever need help. Medication and therapy have also both been really helpful for me. You know, uh, with the you know, helping my doctor, I'm actually moving away from both of those, which is positive. And uh, music has definitely been my most effective coping skill. Whenever I'm feeling down, I can, you know, just play some music or listen to some music and, you know, I instantly feel better. And uh, meditation and exercise have both been really helpful for me as well. And these are just some of the coping skills that I've adopted and, you know, replaced with my old negative ones like substance abuse and self-harm. In my recovery, I've been able to take my music so much further than I ever thought I would. Uh, you know, I went from being a casual bedroom guitarist to you know, actually like being in a band and playing gigs and having fun with it. And uh, I've been able to build much deeper relationships with my friends and family. Before all this happened, I was content with those relationships. You know, it was fine, our family dynamic was fine. But, you know, going through all this, we all, you know, sort of looked at ourselves and you know, we were able to be more honest with each other and, you know, the dynamic is just so much better now, I guess. And um, as I mentioned earlier, I started the driving service, which has really been a great experience for me. And I just hope I can continue down this positive path in life and use my experiences to help other people. When I was at my lowest point, I definitely would have benefited from hearing someone else's story like mine. And it would have been really nice to know that there are other people out there like me. Um, 
Honestly, I probably wouldn't be here today if it weren't for my friend telling his parents that I tried to take my life. You may think you're betraying your friend by, you know, talking to an adult because you're concerned about them, you know, whether it's, you know, suicide or, you know, self-harm, you know, whatever it is. You're helping them and they'll thank you later. I know I did. While I was in treatment, I saw a poster that read, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And that really struck a chord with me. I realized that no matter how horrible things may seem, there's always hope. Thank you. It's got a really powerful story, and it's great that he ends it with hope. It really shows us that, um, that you know, if our kid is diagnosed with a mental health condition, that, you know, we can still live a thriving life and um, living alongside with that diagnosis. Um, so let's start going a little further. How do we know when something is typical teenage behavior and when there might be something more serious? That's really hard to know because our kids are going through all kinds of stuff. I mean, principal was talking about his three middle school daughters. Good golly, there's a lot of hormones going on in that house and it doesn't necessarily slow down. And in high school, we just sometimes get a lot more of the anger side of it, I feel like, than maybe all the crying side of it from, from middle school. But um, that, was, that was our experience at least. But it can be really hard to know, is this something that is a problem or is this normal? And if I make a big deal out of it, am I just gonna alienate my kid and they won't talk to me anymore? So we'll talk a little bit about how you can know. So the key to early recognition is that a child or a teen with a mental health condition has thoughts, moods, and behaviors that are constant, unrelieved, and challenging. And there's two important words that I want you to remember, severity and persistence. That's what you're looking for. It is normal for all of us to go through rough times. We're going to break up and we're going to be down and we're going to cry and that's going to feel really sad. But when we aren't starting to come out of that, when we aren't finding joy, even moments of it and on coming out on the other side, or like Kristen mentioned, I thought it was a beautiful description of, you know, when you aren't feeling the sunlight anymore, you know, if the severity and the persistence, when we're continuing on for two or more weeks, this is when we need to get concerned and when we might need to uh, might need to go talk to somebody. And the severity of it. Is it, um, is it way more drastic than usual? It's different than the normal hormonal mood swing. Something just feels different. You're, you're probably going to know it, and sometimes we suspect it, but we don't want to face it. But we have to face it. We can't just hope that it's not what we think it is. Um, so some of these early warning signs, feeling very sad or withdrawn, again, for more than two weeks, severe out-of-control risk-taking behaviors, um, you know, maybe they're speeding <coughs> and, or, you know, um, excessive <coughs> alcohol use or something, um, sudden overwhelming fear for no reason. Um, one of our other Let's Talk presenters has described this uh, with her anxiety as that feeling that you get when you have a near miss in your car, somebody runs that stop sign and almost hits you and you just have like that, that wave of adrenaline come over your body, you know, she'll just feel that, except that someone didn't almost hit her with her car. You know, it, it will just kind of come over her. Um, severe mood swings, this can even be to the positive as well. You know, a, an excessively good mood, 
that that is that is really um, you know being contrasted against excessive down moods. We need to watch for those things. Um, drastic changes in mood, behavior, personality, sleeping habits. That was always a big telltale sign with, uh, with my son was uh, with sleeping issues. Um, extreme difficulty concentrating. Again, more so than what is normal. You know, some of us have ADHD kids, and this may be a normal thing. Is it is it going to more of an extreme, and is it um, and is it happening over a longer period of time? Um, intense worries or fears that might be getting in the way of their daily life. Maybe they're caught up in a in a loop that they just can't let go of a certain. Uh, a certain fear that they just keep kind of ruminating on. Um, throwing up, using laxatives, um, excessive uh, weight gain or weight loss, repeated use of drugs or alcohol, and then trying to harm themselves or making a plan to do so. These bottom three are what we would classify as negative coping skills. So, um, so these are ways that our children might be trying to cope with what they're feeling, and obviously these are not the ways that we want them to try to cope. So what therapy is for to help learn the positive coping skills for when life gets hard. So we talked a little bit earlier about just how to get a general conversation going, making it a safe thing to talk about in your house. What if you already have a concern? How can you go to your child and talk to them if you're seeing some of these symptoms and you're worried? Um, these are hard conversations to have. You'll notice that in all of these, you'll see a lot of eyes in it. I've noticed this, I'm seeing that. Our kids can't always read our tone of voice. I don't know if you've noticed that. They seem very adultish at this age, but they just can't seem to grasp. It's like, you mean you were angry when you said that? And you're like, really? You couldn't tell that I was angry? I mean, you're just, you're just dumbfounded sometimes by what your kids don't pick up on. Um, and then they're also used to a lot of finger pointing. They're used to receiving blame and, and things. And so when we say you, you've been doing this and you've been doing that, it feels like we're pointing fingers and we're putting blame. So when we turn that around and it's, I've noticed that you're not sleeping, is everything okay? Um, trying to turn that around where it feels a little less like we're pointing a finger. Um, I've noticed that you haven't seemed, seemed like yourself and I'm concerned, I'm here to listen. Um, have I ever told you, again, about uh, family history, if this is uh, pertinent to your family? There may be some genetic reasons why you might be acting this way or feeling this way. Um, so for examples, I love you, so I worry when I see you acting like this or when I see you or when I hear you saying these things. Can we talk about it? Or is there someone else that you want to talk to? This, is, this part is really important. Um, we have to remove ourselves out of this equation. This isn't a reflection on your relationship with your child. So if you are not the person that your child wants to talk to, don't let that get to you or let it get to you in private. <laughs> you know, um, when my son first reached out for help, it was to his wellness counselor at his school. And when she said, okay, I need to talk to your parents, he said, okay, call my dad. And I didn't love that. I didn't love that. I wanted, you know, I'm the mom. You're supposed to. You're supposed to want to call me, but uh, you know, he felt like the dad would have the more level head. Um, so I had to remember this isn't about him or me or him and my husband. This is all about getting him the help that he needs. Um, I know it's hard to talk about how you're feeling, but I am here to listen and I'm here to help. You can count on me, reassuring them that we can keep ourselves calm and in control even when they feel like that their life might be 
be spinning out of control. And these conversations, they don't all go how we want them to. No matter, despite our best efforts, we can plan out what we're going to say, we can use all the eyes in the world to try not to make them feel attacked by us, but we still may not get the reaction that we, um, that we hope for. They still may not open up to us. We might be met with anger. We might be met with, oh my gosh, mom, why are you always making such a big deal out of everything? You know, I'm fine. Um, and maybe they are, and maybe they aren't. And this is where you've got to go with that, um, with that parental gut. What do you know about your child, and does something really seem off? And if after you've had this conversation, if you still feel like that something isn't right, don't hesitate to go ahead and get help. It can be difficult when, if your child isn't wanting to participate in that help. I don't have any great um, words of wisdom for how to manage that. I know uh, one book that was helpful to me was uh, is called Yes, Your Teen is Crazy. Um, it, uh, it talks a little bit in there about how to get help when your kid doesn't want to go get help, when they don't want to participate. Um, that is addressed in there as well as being able to tell the difference between teenage rebellion and something more serious. We found it to be a really but anyway, don't forget to, don't hesitate to make that appointment if you really feel like there's something wrong. So I said that we would come back to suicide, and we have to, and here's why. 90% of those who die by suicide have a mental illness. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, and as we already know, it's the second leading cause of death for our kids. Um, now what's important to remember, this 90% statistic feels really scary, but it's not 90% of people with a mental health condition will die by suicide or even attempt suicide or even have suicidal ideations. Um, it is 90% of people who die by suicide have an underlying mental illness. And this is a part of my son's story that I have not shared with you yet. My son first attempted suicide in 2014 when he was a sophomore at Lhasa. And um, a little over a year after that, at his second attempt, he was—he um, did die by suicide when he was 17, just about a month away from his senior year of high school and his 18th birthday. So, um, I—I'm not here to scare you. You know, I'm like, like, why is my worst nightmare standing up on the stage talking to me about mental illness? Um, but it—it it is very real, and we have to face it. And that's why we cannot take our kids' mental health lightly, just like we wouldn't take their physical health lightly because the threats are real and we have to face them. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the warning signs of suicide. So you might be hearing things of your child expressing or anyone else in your life um, feeling like a burden, being very isolated. Some of these, especially isolation, that will sound very familiar from the signs of a mental illness. A lot of these are um, overlap maybe feeling very trapped in their pain. Um, you might find them looking for access to lethal means, expressing a lot of hopelessness, sleeping way too little, way too much, um, talking or posting about wanting to die. We need to keep an eye on our kids' social media accounts. Um, they may be making plans for suicide. Um, so if you see any of these warning signs, what should you do about it? Well, first of all, you've got to take them seriously, as we talked about, and then you've got to ask. 
you've got to be able to ask the question. And this may not be a one-time conversation. I had this conversation multiple times with my son, and I have this conversation frequently with my daughter, depending on what's going on. It's, it's, she is so used to and over me asking her this question. But <laughs> it, it's a hard, uh, it's a really hard conversation to have, but you just may need to ask. Sometimes when people are struggling with depression or sometimes when people are really down, they think about hurting themselves. Is this something that you've thought about? And then here's the really important part. Do you have a plan? Because there's something to think of, to, to remember. You know, like when I ask my daughter this question, she'll, uh, I, uh, uh, the answer that I've most frequently gotten is, it's never gone that far for me, Mom. Like, I don't like my life right now, but that doesn't mean I want to die. Just like, like, sometimes I wish I wasn't alive, but I don't want to die. So that, that's pretty, that's a pretty, that's a pretty different answer than what I might have gotten from my son, which was like, yeah, I'm not safe right now. We, we, need, we need to go, and, you know, so we, we're going to head on up to the, uh, up to the ER. So, you know, we, we were getting pretty accustomed to this conversation. How can you prepare yourself for this kind of conversation? We're going to skip one slide and go over to this one. So this is a handout that's available out there. It looks like this on one side, and then on the other side it has all this red and, and yellow. Um, be, if you don't take anything else with you, take this with you. And um, be sure to read it over. What this is, is the Columbia Suicide Severity Rating Scale. And it guides you through some questions that you can ask of anybody, not just your teenager, of your sister, of your mom, of a friend, anyone um, that you're concerned about. It guides you through some questions that you can ask them. And then depending on what they answer, how, how high is this risk? Is this a, all right, we're gonna call your therapist first thing in the morning kind of situation? Or is this a, we're getting in the car and we are driving straight to the emergency room situation. We may have very different um, scenarios on our hand. So um, definitely take this with you and look it over and just think about if you're ever in the situation where you need to ask someone um, if they are suicidal and then how to gauge the, their risk at that moment, then um, look it over so that you'll be ready for that. I also highly recommend going to their website. There's, um, there's a website really small down here on the bottom of the handout. And um, they have uh, different, they have customized questions for different roles that you might have for teachers, for parents, for first responders. It's, it's really a fantastic website. So I recommend spending some time on it. Um, but the thing that you need to remember to do is as you get ready for this question, for this conversation, um, I'm gonna skip ahead real quick. You need to be ready to stay calm. Uh, you need to plan out how you're going to react depending on, on what answer that you get. Um, using that I language. Um, we need to uh, think about what your plan is. Depending on what they say, how would you need to react and what would you even do next? If it's a situation where you need help, what would, where would you do next? And now I'm gonna go backwards again to here. Okay, so some of the resources at your disposal. Um, integral care is a, um, is a local group that you can call. You can, of course, immediately, if you already have a mental health professional, you can get um, right on the phone with them. You can call 911 or go to an emergency room. And if you have a mental health professional, they can help you with your crisis plan of what should you do if you hit a crisis point in your family. They can help you map out exactly what you should do. Um, 
These are also some good numbers to have. We have handouts out here that have all of these numbers. There's the suicide prevention <coughs> lifeline. There's even a text line, which could be great for our kids who don't always want to speak to a human being. They just want to talk over their phone. Whatever gets them the help, right? That's all that we care about. Um, so those are all resources available to you depending on, uh, depending on the situation. So remember, in any of our conversations that we're having with our kids about mental health, we need to stay calm. We need to use our eye language when we can. We need to practice active listening. Remember that we're trying to get them involved in a dialogue so that they will open up and tell us more. Um, we always want to affirm their feelings. We don't want to minimize what they're feeling. Um, this can be really hard. Um, I know my daughter can sometimes just go off the rails about something that feels so small and insignificant. Um, but what I have to remember is that there might have been 800 other things leading up to that small insignificant thing. This is just the one that was like straw the camel's back or whatever. And if I try to minimize it or tell her that's not that big of a deal or say, come on, get some perspective, this isn't, this isn't so bad, then I'm closing her off to ever be able to get to the point where she can tell me about the 800 other things that really went wrong that day. Or maybe that's the only thing that she feels safe talking about yet. She hasn't gotten to where she's ready to tell me about the rest yet. But if I'm cutting her off, or if I'm changing the topic or trying to tell her that it's not that big of a deal, she's not gonna feel safe to tell me those other things, right? Or she may not even be self-aware enough yet to know why she's so upset, and that this minor thing just set her off and she doesn't even know why yet. Um, we need to reassure our kids that they are not alone and that we'll be here to support them and, um, and to help them. So we have one last video to watch. It'll help us end things on a little bit of a, of a lighter, brighter mood. Um, if any of you are Brene Brown fans in here, she's a wonderful speaker and author. Um, we have a video of hers talking about empathy, and it really helps us to remember how to do practice that active listening and to be able to engage our kids in, um, in a better conversation. Okay, so what can we do now moving on from tonight? Um, keep engaging with your teenager. Um, maybe start with your pediatrician if you have a concern or when you start uh, to have concerns or whoever your, your medical professional is, uh, may need to get that referral to a mental health specialist. Um, you may need to communicate and work with the school. Sometimes we're hesitant to do that. We're worried about our kids getting labeled. Um, worried about the teachers treating them differently. Um, we're afraid that our child's gonna get mad at us if they feel like that we've invaded their privacy by you know, telling someone else. But, um, but there, there, there really are times and instances where, um, where the school can be your advocate. And um, I know we had a very positive experience um, working with, uh, with the professionals at, um, at LASA and then, um, and then in, in only one occasion that we needed to interface at at Bowie, where my daughter went, but um, you know, even that, um, even that your counseling staff is hosting these here tonight. I think that they're showing their their commitment to help your child um, succeed in every way. So, um, you know, we would encourage you to work with the school as you need to. Connecting with other families is really important. Um, we we don't know what we're doing here as parents, and um, and the professionals are only going to be able to take so much time to talk to us. They're really focusing in on our kids. We need to talk to other people who are down in the trenches with us, and it really makes a huge difference. And 
Um, I'll get in a minute to, to some of the other NAMI resources, but NAMI offers support groups as well as classes. Um, there are other support groups out there too. You know, so just find, uh, find your group of, of other families who might be experiencing something similar. They can share wonderful wisdom with you, things that have worked or not worked for them, as well as just help you know that you are not alone in this. Um, and again, continuing to get that, uh, that support, educating yourself on everything that you need to know if your child is, has a diagnosis, um, or sometimes it can be a little difficult to get a diagnosis, that's a whole other topic, but um, with whatever that you think might be going on, doing, doing a lot of research and, and educating yourself. And NAMI can help you with that as well. So um, just a little plug for some of our services. We have support groups, um, classes, both on the side of for individuals living with a mental health condition as well as um, their families. Um, we have offer some education, there's a lot of peer support, we have a website that is full of information, um, so feel free to go to, uh, go to NAMI Central Texas to, uh, to get some more information. Some of the programs specific to kids and youth the NAMI Basics course is a six-week class that helps to uh, helps to educate you about um, about mental illness. It goes a lot deeper than we can go in a one-hour presentation. There's so much meat and, and um, great information in that course. Um, Ending the Silence is a presentation that we do for students in some schools. Parents and Teachers as Allies is another presentation that we do again for our teachers and our staff. Thank you all so much uh, for coming and taking the night. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in the archived video recording of this session and any corresponding handouts or resources, please visit the WHS Healthy Shaps website at healthyshaps.weebly.com.